there are many among us where this is not our home congregation. You have traveled from other places. Some of you are going through, as Dad said, and uh, we're so glad to be here. And what brings us together this morning is the blood of Christ. It joins us together so that we could come and honor him as we later on will honor him around the Lord's Supper. But we also glorify the same God, the one true God, and give him our worship this morning. And it is indeed a blessing to be here and to worship together no matter where you are, where you come from, to be able to come and to do just that. I want to thank our brother for the song that we just sang. It, it leads into what we're going to talk about this morning, about this hope and this blessed assurance that we have and how we can rejoice within that assurance and that hope that God has promised us. You know, um, it says here, Romans 12 and 12, there's a simple phrase by Paul, to rejoice in hope, to rejoice in our hope. And throughout Scripture, you will, you're going to find all kinds of Scripture telling us to be full of joy or to rejoice in various things. We're told to rejoice in the Lord. We're told to rejoice in the resurrection. We are told to rejoice in the God of our, of our salvation. And there are other things you can find in the Scripture where it says rejoice in this or rejoice in that. But Paul tells us here in the context of what we're going to talk about is to rejoice in hope. And so let me ask you a question regarding that. We're told to do that. Well, how do we do that? And in what circumstances in our life and how do we apply it to our life so that we can rejoice in our hope? And so to begin this morning, I want to, I've always feel it helpful to look at the context in which this particular exhortation is written in. And so I want to go back a little bit here in this chapter to verse number one, where it talks about us being transformed and setting apart, uh, being set apart uh, from others in this world. And you look here, the very first two verses of this chapter, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so when we read that and, and proving what is good and proving what is acceptable and proving the perfect will of God, that's a challenge. But that, that falls on us. And we do it through that transformation that happens within our lives. And so because of that, it's a goal for each one of us. And as we put our effort into accomplish, uh, in accomplishing this, Paul actually gives us another or challenge within this context here. And so we're going to read on in verse number 9 now about rejoicing in this hope. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. 
not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. And so when you look at the practice of rejoicing in hope within the context that Paul puts it in here, the underlying principle is love. When you look at verse 9, it tells us to love, let our love be genuine. Don't let your love toward others be shallow. Don't let it be fake towards other people. And we see how abhorring evil and holding fast to what is good, how that is essential to us showing love. And then you look here at verse number 10, and it intensifies that call to love with the strong words of family affection to love one another with brotherly love, with brotherly affection. And so it also shows us how loving, how us loving to give honor to others rather than to get honor upon ourselves how that's all part of love too. And so when you look at what he says in verse number 12 in these surrounding verses, we have the dominant theme of love ringing within our minds, and that's the essence of the will of God when you go back to what we read in verse number two. And that's why we must be transformed in the renewing of our minds to know that in each situation, what love looks like, and how sometimes it's not easy because you're dealing with all kinds of people, you're dealing with all kinds of personalities, and yet our love has to show in various ways and various forms to all kinds of people. And so how much of a deep transformation we need to find and follow the way of love. And this chapter is all written to help us do just that. And so when you look at this idea of a rejoicing of, uh, uh, in hope, among the other things that are mentioned here in verse number 12, it tells me that all of this is for love. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. All for the sake of loving each other and loving our enemies as we ought. And so in this way, Christ, who is the ground, who is the goal of it all, he becomes more visible and more real and more convincing in the world and within our lives. And so that's kind of the context of which all of this is written and the overall theme regarding this. And so I want to begin talking about this hope. Now, when you think of the word hope, there is a difference between worldly hope and that of biblical hope. A worldly hope is, for example, something that, that we wish would happen, but there is an uncertainty if it will happen or not. And so when you're driving to work tomorrow morning, we all wish that there's not going to be any traffic that we're going to have to deal with when we go to work in the morning. And so we hope that that will happen, but we have no idea if that will happen or not. It's uncertain because there are so many different variables in that. You have no idea. Uh, who's going to be on the road. You have no control over who, who is there and who is not there. And because you've got no control over it, there is that uncertainty. And so, in that sense, we desire for something to happen, 
but we have no idea if it will happen or not. And that's worldly hope. But when you, talk, when you look at the hope that is mentioned in the Bible, it's something that's very opposite to that of worldly hope. In fact, biblical hope, is, uh, it's, it's a confident expectation. It's a desire with the expectation that we know it's going to happen. And we're, we know for certain that it's going to happen. And it's a hope that we know that we will obtain something and that we expect it to be fulfilled. And so biblical hope is the expectation or it's the anticipation of something that is absolutely certain. And you know why we have that kind of hope that we're certain that it's going to happen? It's because it's promised by God. That's why. And we know God is faithful to his promises, isn't he? That when God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen. And that's why we have this expectation and the certainty in the hope that is told to us within the scriptures. I find Peter's words in 1 Peter to be very helpful about this hope. And it says here, 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to read here verses 3 through 9. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. How is, it, how is that possible? Well, he says how it's possible. As you continue on reading, it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how it's possible. And then continuing on in verse number four, to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time I like this phrase and I like the assurance that Paul gives us here about our hope he says it's a living hope and it's because Jesus rose from the grave because without the resurrection there would be no hope but what about this hope? Well, Peter says it's the hope of, of inheriting heaven. That's what it is for all of us. It's that assurance of going to heaven because Jesus rose from the grave. And you read on about, about this grand truth and this realization that we have because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have this hope. And now how do we react to it? Well, look here as it continues on in verse number six. In this, what do you do? He says, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your, of your faith. And what is that? He says it's the salvation of your souls. That's what it is. And when you read that and read what Peter says about how we react to the realization that we've got this living hope, I love Paul's attitude. I love the tone that he gives here because he, he tells us what, what we have this hope 
He says, rejoice in that. Be excited about that. Rejoice that you have been given this great gift from God. But when you look at the overall context here of what he writes about, do you see the overall theme here? The overall theme is that you rejoice when you're having a bad time. Rejoice when you're being tested by fire. You rejoice in your hope when you're having a bad day. And it's on days like that, it could be on occasions and the circumstances, uh, circumstances like that, that it's just easy to give in and just lose the battle for that moment. Yes, it's easy to wipe, uh, the wave the white flag, but if you give up, you can't rejoice in that, can you? You can't. You see, rejoicing in hope during the tough times, well, that tends to be the next level in Christianity. That's when you mature. That's when you see those trials in the overall picture at that moment. That's where the growth happens. That's when you take your stand in the truth. And that's when you feel proud and you feel great for your accomplishments. And you pray and you thank God for the opportunity for going through whatever it was because it made you a better person and it made you a stronger servant for God at that time. Young people, it's going to, uh, it's going to happen when you're being attacked or challenged by the teacher or classmate because of your faith. It's going to happen when you're challenged about if there's a God and if he created this world and the universe. It's going to happen when you're challenged about what constitutes a family. And you stand that God only intended for a man and a woman to become married. It's going to happen when you're faced with peer pressure to do something unwise or wrong. And I'll admit to you, those are some tough and difficult times. And sometimes we just want to take a step back because we don't want to create controversy. We don't want to lose influence. We don't want to lose friends. And so in those moments of struggle or pressure, well, you have the choice. And you have the choice to stand strong and feel great about the end result. Or you also have the choice and walk away without any reason to rejoice in your hope and your faith. Those are the two choices you have. And Paul says a similar thing back what we read. And we've already said, uh, seen this already here in 12 and verse 12 of Romans, he said, rejoicing in hope, he said, patient in tribulation, but also continuing steadfastly in prayer. And so Paul gives us the formula to not just rejoice in the hope during the tough times, but endure them through those times and pray during those times too. Pray. I like the end result. When you go back here to 1 Peter 1, he says, if you endure through the tough times, he says, you're going to have a joy within you that's going to be so great. Inexpressible is what he says. And the ultimate reward, heaven. That's the ultimate reward. We've all gone through some tough times. One of the toughest times for me was when I lost my job, I was out of the job for about, about eight months. 
that was, those were some stressful times and a lot of prayer, a lot of effort trying to find, uh, trying to find a, a job. But that phone call came one afternoon offering me the job and the joy that just overtook me and the prayers, thanking God. Those are one of the highlights of this joy. And there are other things that might, that you might relate to or greater things that has happened in your life to bring such joy to your life. But even through, even through whatever we experience, even some of the highlights of my own life, of God's blessings, something greater is there. And that's God's promise to save me in the end if I'm faithful to him. And you and I, we can rejoice in that hope of entering through the gates of heaven and experiencing eternal life with God. And so Peter and Paul, of the words that we have read so far, tell us to rejoice in that very hope, especially in those tough times. And so there's the exhortation. And how do we do this? How do we obtain of strength? How do we, what do we look to for, for strength of the hope that we have? Well, there are things that help us. And for one thing, I believe that the first and the foremost thing of how we obtain or strengthen our hope is to look to the scriptures for help and for guidance and for encouragement. You look here at what it says in Romans 15 and verse number four. He says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. The things that we read in Scripture. Now, when Paul writes these things to the brethren here, he's talking about the things of the Old Testament. But when we look to the Old Testament, even the things that were written within the New Testament, well, they were written for a reason. They were written so that we can learn from them. They were written so that we could, we, uh, it reveals God's will to us. They were written to encourage us in our life. They were written to give us hope. And so naturally, when you think about it, the more we're in Scripture, the more our hope can be strengthened. And we just can't neglect God's Word and expect to have a strong hope and expect to be able just to have all the instruction and the guidance to face the trials of life. And the reason why is because our faith and hope, they come from reading God's Word. They do. And so when you read the Scriptures, you and I, each one of us can have a confident expectation of heaven because of seeing the nature of God through the biblical history of what we read about how he interacted with people through time and the promises that he gave God's people through time. You can read the thousands of years of God at work and seeing his plan and seeing his promises. And you could also have an assurance and confident hope in Jesus being the Messiah after reading about all the prophecies of old concerning the Messiah and how all those were fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so remember, the Bible is the source of your hope. And it's nothing that is within us. It is not of any wisdom that any one of us have that could bring us this kind of hope than from what we can see in the scriptures. Another thing that could help our hope is to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we've already alluded to, gives us that ability to rejoice in our hope. 
And I don't know about you. If you want to get me excited upon something, you talk about the resurrection. That is, that's one of the big ones. That's one of the highlights that you could read about in the, in the Bible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is all great news for you and I. And so because of the resurrection, we can be assured that we're going to have a victory in the end because Jesus was a victor over the grave. Paul talked about how sad. And he talked about how hopeless it would be if Jesus had not risen from the dead. Things would be much different for you and I if it did not happen. In fact, you look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says there in verse number 12, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That was one of the problems here in Corinth, and Paul was addressing that, where people were saying he didn't. He didn't raise from the dead. There was no resurrection. And because of that, he's going to address several things that if that were true, there would be some things that would be evident because of that. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, number one, our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. He goes on to say, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, he says your faith is futile. But not only that, he says you are still in your sins if there was no resurrection of Christ. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men the most pitiable. That would be the facts if there were no resurrection. And if the tomb was not empty. But the tomb is not empty. So because it's not empty, he says we rejoice because of it. And that gives us a great reason for us to rejoice in our hope. I love, absolutely love what the writer of Hebrews chapter 6 says regarding a reason or another reason to rejoice in our hope. He says here in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning of verse number 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which, number one, it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope, he says, we have as an anchor of the soul. That's a key phrase. Our hope is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil 
where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become our high, become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And when you read what is what we just seen here in Hebrews chapter six, do you hear the certainty? Do you hear the confidence that we have because of this hope, but because of what God has done? I mean, you, it, you look at God's track record and he has promised and he has kept them all. And another thing is that God can't lie. And so when he has promised us a reward in heaven, our hope is based on the truth. And we know that God's going to keep his word regarding that very thing. And notice what is said about this hope. Again, it is an anchor of our soul. It's what motivates us to be a servant. It's what motivates us to never give up. What a blessed assurance we have, don't we? And all the more reason to rejoice in the hope that is promised to every one of us today. And as we wrap things up here this morning, I want to mention one last thing. We read a bit from Peter and Paul about rejoicing in our hope. And when you look at what those men went through for the cause of Christ, when you look at the persecutions that both of those guys endured, it was horrible, wasn't it? They were threatened to death. Paul, on one occasion, was stoned by an angry mob, almost died, left for dead outside the the, the walls of the city or the gates of the city. But those guys went through all that because of the hope. It was because of Jesus. And it was because of the assurance that they knew that they had because God was faithful to what he was promised. And so when you read about the experience of just these two guys, specifically in the book of Acts, if you want to be encouraged, read the book of Acts regarding this thing in this light. And when you read about that experience, and then those two guys in particular saying, rejoice in the hope that you've got, those are words of experience. And those are men who know what they're talking about. Because they had that assurance that they were going to go to heaven. Because of the life that they had lived. They show us how to rejoice in our hope. And as I leave these teachings to you this morning, I want to leave you with this one verse in Romans 15 and 13. Now that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God does. And that's the blessed assurance that we have when this life is over. Be thankful that you serve a God who is faithful and is good to you and gives us that promise. And rejoice in that every day that you live in whatever circumstance that comes your way. And I hope that with these things that we've seen here this morning, that you've been encouraged 
that you've been lifted up. And there are things that I need to work on. So I rejoice even more because of the God that is so good to me and blesses me in so many ways. And I'm looking forward to the hope where my faith becomes sight. It's going to be great. And you're looking forward to that too, aren't you? Maybe you're here and you've never become a child of God. There's a, there's a realization that if you have not become a child of God, if you have not obeyed the gospel of Christ, there's no hope. There's no hope, but you can change that. Understanding about God's grace, how he sent his son down to this world, and he lived the life that he lived, and he was perfect, and he was sinless, yet he bore your sins on the cross and was the ultimate sacrifice for your sins. How he died and was buried and was resurrected on that third day, because of that and because our obedience to that very thing, we can have hope. And we can have our sins washed away. And we can be added to the Lord's church. That's something that the Lord does. In obedience to that and understanding that and repenting of your life. And then confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then be baptized for the remission of your sins. That happened to those people there in Acts chapter 2. And it specifically says that the Lord added them to his church. It's not something that we do, that we add you to the church. It's the Lord that adds you to the church in obedience to his will and obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you'll have that hope that God has promised the faithful. Take advantage of that if you've never done it. Take advantage of the goodness and mercy and love of God if you've never done that. If you have become a child of God, maybe you've messed up. Maybe there are things in your life that you just need to make things right with God. Whatever it is, understand that God always gives us another chance because he is so merciful and forgiving. And that's the kind of God whom we serve. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.